Wendell Vaughn, the first Earthman ever appointed protector of the universe, bonded to the energy-transforming quantum bands that are both weapons and symbols of his station. He fights an ongoing battle to defend all life in the universe from cosmic evil. Stanley presents Quasar. Greetings, and welcome to another edition of the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. I'm Gene Hendricks, and I'm flying solo this time because Jif is just too busy and we couldn't record an episode together. But we want to take care of you, our loyal listeners, and get an episode out there for you. So this time, I'm going to be reaching back into the bins, and I'm going to pull out Marvel 2-in-1, issue number 73, The Thing and Quasar. Now, this issue was published in uh, December of 1980, but the cover date is March of 1981. This story comes to us through the talents of Ralph Macchio writer, Ron Wilson and Chick Stone artists, John Costanza letterer, George Rosos colorist, Jim Salakrup editor, and Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. Anyway, jumping right into it here, and you may notice that I am going without notes or anything. We're just flying by the seat of my pants here, so should be an interesting episode. On the cover, we have The Thing who is sitting down, bound with his uh, hands behind his back in what looks like a stainless steel pipe. Quasar is flying through the air, blasting what looks like a futuristic oil rig, and fighting dinosaurs. And the title of this, on the cover anyway, is Trapped in a World of Dinosaurs. So on the first page, we have the Thing and Quasar floating through what looks like uh, Marvel cosmic space here. The title of this issue is Pipeline Through Infinity. At the moment, Quasar is the security chief for the Department of Energy's special research project, Project Pegasus. So they're floating through the void, and just as quickly as it begins, they end their journey, but this time they're in a jungle somewhere next to a river. They look back in our standard Rounded Corners panel flashback and find out that the Thing and Quasar were trying to find out what was going on. They went to an abandoned subway tunnel, and they smashed in on a group of guys in green jumpsuits. The Thing and Quasar have them on the run, but they get zapped and teleported to wherever we are. So they're walking along in what looks like virgin jungle, and suddenly they come across a huge oil field and some rather futuristic looking buildings in the background. So they're trying to figure out what's going on when they're attacked by some flying cars who are shooting lasers at them. They dodge the lasers, the thing picks up a tree, smashes one of them. Quasar is using his quantum bands, although here he refers to them as Urian energy bands and blinding the drivers of a car. However, he gets caught in a net, but he makes quick work of that by basically blasting his way out. The Thing is being targeted, and they release some knockout gas, which gets him, and Quasar gets shot. The Thing manages to shake the gas off, jump up, and grab onto the back of one of the cars, and starts basically pounding it all to heck. And it explodes, throwing the four passengers out. Quasar basically collapses in the jungle, and finally the gas gets the better of Ben, and he is passed out and taken back to what looks like a control tower. Meanwhile, Quasar is picked up by what looks like 
Tarzan's cousins. You know, fur loincloths, and all you can really see is their legs. And he is taken back on a stretcher to their village. And they take him into the hut of the chief. And the chief, surprisingly, it's almost like we're on an episode of Star Trek here, speaks English. He says that they have been taught many things by those who have used us. Those you have fought against. And he goes on to explain how years ago these people came through a hole in the air, bringing their ugly machines, and they're trying to steal the black liquid which flows under their land. And Quasar figures out that these people wrangle dinosaurs, and they use them in their warfare. But at this time, they are caught by one of the flying cars, and suddenly the dinosaurs are told to scatter. But, you know, a couple of soldiers get out. They're in uh, brown fatigues with your standard, you know, soldiery belt and helmets on. And they're beating the snot out of the villagers trying to find Quasar. But the villagers protect him. We jump over to see Ben, and they're in some type of control tower. A guy behind a big metal desk. And there are dinosaur skeletons all throughout here. So he's got one heck of a big office. This guy is Bennett Pittman. Mercenary, adventurer, and entrepreneur, and currently in charge of this Roxon oil complex. And he tells Ben how they found this dimension, and they're basically going to suck it dry of oil, use everybody as a, uh, a slave that's here. And it turns out the way they get the oil back is they use an nth projector. That's N-T-H projector. It uh, must be some relation to Hawkman with his nth metal. Basically, they have broken across the dimensional barrier and are transporting this oil back into our world to sell it. And in order to do that, they have two couplings, basically, on their pipeline, which they call the nth adapters. And they pump the oil into these, and it is instantly transported across dimensional lines into matching pipes in their oil refinery in the U.S. And the guy is basically being a big jerk, and Ben is wondering, you know, why are you telling me this? And he offers Ben a job. To which the thing says, no thank you. So the thing is trying to get out, and he's been working on the clamp that they got him, but it's not really loosening up right now. Out the window, though, he sees some commotion. Quasar is flying in, leading a troop of dinosaur cavalry. These guys are riding in on Tyrannosaurus and Triceratops. They're attacking the oil installation, crunching up all the derricks and everything. Uh, Pterodon is going after the flying cars. Quasar zapping them. And, you know, generally making a nuisance of himself. So Quasar sees the tower and figures out that's probably where Ben is being held. At this point, Ben manages to break free of his shackles and attack the soldiers who are trying to shoot him with apparently ordinary guns. Not really working very well. Quasar smashes through the window and zaps all the soldiers with a blast of light, blinding them. Pittman realizes that he has to save this installation, otherwise it's going to be his hide. So he runs into a room, followed closely by the thing in Quasar, to get to the Nth Command headquarters. So he needs to project himself back into our dimension. He turns the device on automatically, and he gets zapped. The soldiers don't know what's going on, and the thing in Quasar charge in, try and grab the projector, and it teleports itself back to our dimension. 
they see on a screen that Pittman has gotten the projector back as a failsafe. Now all these soldiers are trapped. The watchtower is now under attack, so Quasar creates a quantum construct of a platform. The thing climbs on, they fly out. They see the installation is in ruins. They land, and the chief thanks Quasar for getting rid of Roxon. But it looks like the only thing left standing is the pumping station. Quasar realizes that this is their ticket home, but also a way for them to get back at Roxon. What they do is they turn the oil off, and then they move the nth adapters, which are the dimensional doorways on the pipes, into the center of Roxon's base. Then the oil goes back on, and basically the entire headquarters is being flooded with oil. At which point, Quasar puts the thing in himself in a quantum bubble, and they go into the pipeline. This is quite a big pipeline here, folks. And they ride the flow of oil. So they end up back in our dimension, and there's a huge amount of oil in this headquarters. And the the Roxon guys are trying to save the projectors which transport people back and forth between dimensions, but all of them are getting soaked in the oil and ruined. Quasar manages to knock out the guards that are above the oil level, and Ben knocks down a mess of machinery trying to ruin as much as he can. Ben sees Pittman grab onto a piece of metal to save himself, while he and Quasar wrap up all the uh, rocks and oil employees. It looks like Pittman's about to let go and let nature take its course here, but Ben grabs him and pulls him to safety. The circuit override cuts in that Quasar set, cutting off the flow of oil, so everything is done. It's just up to our heroes to turn the Roxxon employees over to the authorities. So, that's Marvel 2-in-1, number 73. Let us take a quick break, and I'll come back and let you know what I thought. together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you have yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh, a d- and it doesn't a d- fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It, do- it really doesn't work well. So I checked right. uh, I checked my, uh, mm-hmm. my pr- 
it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers! Welcome back. Let's start by taking a look at the cover. It's like I described, you know, it's your standard 80s, well, late 70s Marvel. It's got the thing, you know, looking in horror as Quasar takes on these dinosaurs and everything. In the upper left, you have the box. It's got the thing's face and Quasar's face. And I gotta say, Quasar is looking very, very Jack Kirby in this. Not saying that's a bad thing, it's just that's not normally how I picture Quasar looking. Inside, as I said, you have uh, the thing in Quasar floating through Marvel Cosmic. It's you know, a bunch of Kirby background outer space stuff in here. And they end up back on terra firma next to a river. Look, you know, the art in this is actually r- very good. This is the kind of stuff I like. It, it looks proportional. You know, no one's got any weird gestures or expressions or anything. It's it's your standard, oh, look at that, and I must point with my whole body, but, you know, it, it's serviceable. It's, it's standard comic book stuff. Uh, I must point out that in this, Quasar is under the impression that his bands draw on the energy of distant Quasars. Now, this is how they explained his energy powers long before we got into the 89 comic series where they figured out, or where it was retcon, depending on how you want to look, exactly what he was doing, which was tapping into the uh, the quantum field. And he is also shown, more or less, with his hands up, so that energy beams are shooting out of the crystals on his bands, which is much different than how he would normally do it later on, where it's you know all enveloping his hand, going around it, rather than just like this. Quasar's looking pretty buff in this, too. It's like he's been uh, working out pretty well. This is going to be a stark contrast to what we see later on in his ongoing series. So, you know, we go on. The villagers, like I said, they, they're they supposed to be uh, cavemen. They live in stone you know, stone huts. I don't know how they managed to make them, you know, hollow out boulders somehow. And they're, again, they are looking very Kirby-esque. They, they've got the blocky faces and... You know, very much Kirby's fourth world kind of thing. Now we get into the plot, where the uh, the Rocks and Oil guys are trying to steal oil from this other dimension and transport it back, and I just have one thing to point out about that. They've invented this thing, which can, you can go between dimensions, and you can use this big ring. And it's pretty big. It's got to be at least seven feet in diameter. And they got two of them here. And you can use that to instantaneously transport yourself between dimensions. And you can move the other end of this. So, this is the Lex Luthor builds the five million dollar robot to steal half a million dollars kind of thing. If you have this power to instantaneously transport people from even if it's from one dimension to another, you can figure out how to do it within your own dimension, I'm pretty sure, or just route them into that other dimension and then back into ours so you have instantaneous transportation. Do you have any idea how much money you would be able to make just running a bus company like this? Now, the fight is your fairly standard, you know, good guys beat up bad guys, the thing has to yell its clobber in time about three or four times, Quasar... You know, uses his light powers, not his quantum powers yet. Although he does make a quantum construct. Now, I'm not sure how often he did that way back in the uh, the late 70s, early 80s. I haven't 
read nearly enough of this to to figure out you know what his modus operandi was. But it's your your standard stuff. Uh, good guys win at the end, and like I said, Quasar's got one heck of a chest and arms on him in the, in this final panel. Looks like he's you know being played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie. Now on to something that a lot of people like in the old, old comics: the ads. Now inside the front cover. We have your standard uh, joke company kind of thing. The Johnson Smith Company of Mount Clemens, Michigan. And they're selling anything from hand timers to a slot machine bank to a bleeding skull candle to tiny magnets to x-ray specs, etc., etc. And they're all, you know... In 1980, these are some outrageous prices. I mean, you have a uh, squirt lighter for $3.95. I should point out that this issue was 50 cents, so you could get a squirt lighter for the same amount of money as eight Marvel 2-in-1s. Guess which I would pick. And we go along here, and then we have the uh, the Fun Factory, Super Gifts and Gimmicks, same basic idea of stuff. You know, Red Hot Pepper Gum, uh, more X-Ray Specs, and then we get a... Uh, <laughs> we are looking for a few good boys and girls to sell grit. Yeah, this is something that I never really paid much attention to until I heard a lot of people doing back issues talking about it. I never really noticed it before, but it's basically you're trying to sell magazines or newspapers and it you were never going to make your money back, <laughs> pretty much. And then we have something uh, that would interest me if I was actually reading comics back then, and it was the 1981 Marvel anniversary calendar. Which anniversary, you ask? The 20th anniversary of Marvel Comics. You just get to see your uh, picture on the cover of everything, but it was a whole $4.95. Wow. Now we have the two-page spread in the middle of the Mile High Comics order list. Uh, list expires May 31st, 1981, so I'm pretty sure I'm a little late for ordering these. And you've got stuff like... Uh, Amazing Adventures and Fantasy Masterpiece, Howard the Duck, the Hulk. Hulk number 102 here lists for $15. Something tells me that's a little inflated, but all Mile High comics were a little inflated back then. Then you got your standard uh, Marvel Comics Group checklist, which has a knockoff of Thor. It's from Robert Bell in Coral Springs, Florida, and he what he did is he took a picture of Thor removed the wings off his helmet, changed his tunic from blue to black, and put bees all over. And that was supposed to be an original emblem. But then you have, Be an Incredible Hulk of a Man in Seven Days, from Charles Atlas. And self-defense, you can learn Kung Fu or Karate. New home study course. Something tells me that that's about as successful as a correspondence driving course. But I digress. Then we have the Mighty Marvel's Big Money-Saving Holiday Offer, and we have a wreath. And this wreath has the pictures of Power Man, Daredevil, The Thing, The Human Torch, Iron Man, some guy, I have no idea who he is, looks very Kirby-esque, black hair, Caucasian guy, Spider-Man, The Hulk, Captain America with a very creepy smile, and Doctor Strange. And for this, you can take advantage and enclose $5 for my first subscription and $4 for every additional title I order, which is fairly decent savings. It's You're basically getting 12 issues for the price of either 
10 or 8. And on the page next to that, we have, With friends like these, she's bound to have enemies. And it's the Dazzler series by Tom DeFalco, John Romita Jr., when he was still drawing decently, and Alfredo Alcala. And you have Spider-Man, The Thing, The Wasp, Human Torch, Hawkeye, Storm, Captain America, Colossus, Iron Man, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine running towards you in the top. And then you have Dazzler on her rhinestone roller skates fighting the Enchantress. And Dazzler number one on sale now in comic shops and other outlets across the nation. I wasn't aware that there were comic shops way back in 1980, but eh, who knows? Then we go on to the letters page, and we're talking, yeah, your fairly standard letters. I didn't really read them too thoroughly. And an ad for the Savage She-Hulk on sale now, which shows Jennifer Walters essentially doubling her height when she transforms into the She-Hulk. I'm not sure if that's really true or not. Last page of the comic, and it's a bunch of different little tiny ads. Over 10 years in service, 1,000 comic books. This is Clint's Comics, and it's got a a Spider-Man face on it. Inside back cover is the new monogram super kits for the Turbo Trans Am uh, Peterbilt truck and the B-36 Peacemaker bomber. On the back cover, you have the ad for 132 Roman soldiers set for $2.98. Two complete Roman armies. I never was really big into these little army guys, whether they be the Green Army Men or the Roman soldiers or whatever. But the highlight of this or any other comic of this era is the Hostess ad. And this one is the Human Torch in Blown About. You have a woman in a blue jumpsuit, leisure suit, whatever you want to call it, and she is pointing a giant hairdryer at a bunch of rich people, saying, Okay, everybody, hand over the furs, the money, and the jewels, or get a blast from my supersonic hairdryer. It'll do a lot more than dry your hair. And the torch is flying by and sees this. He says, Let's see if I can't put a stop to that little game. So she sees him trying to land, says, Watch out! I'll blow your flames right out! Which she does! She turns on the hairdryer, and it blows out his flame as he flies past a table full of Hostess cupcakes, saying, Holy smoke! She'll cool my fire soon! I've got to get her hands off that blow dryer! Hey, what's that I see? Hostess cupcakes! Just the thing! He grabs a bunch, flames on again, and throws them down to her. You'll want to get your hot little hands on these goodies! So he picks her up, turning the flame off of his hands, but not off of the rest of him. So considering how high her hair is, she should be lit like a uh, birthday candle right now. Mmm, chocolatey cake, chocolatey icing, great taste a jewel of a find. And he says, a hot number like you shouldn't drop her weapon for anything, not even Hostess Cupcakes. You'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. All right, the... <laughs> Most of these ads are really goofy, but do they really have the hero telling the villain, you know, you're really dumb to fall for what I just did to you? Ah, uh, I love these ads. They really take me back. Well, anyway, that is Marvel 2-in-1, The Thing in Quasar, number 73 from 1981. Hopefully, we'll get back to our regular programming next time, but we wanted to make sure you guys had an episode to listen to, so uh, you don't forget who we are. Now keep in mind, we are still taking your answers for the comic book fight club between Omega Supreme and the Lion Voltron. So far, we have had a whopping one. 
response. So get those emails in, will you? It's quantum.bands at yahoo.com. See you next time, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. You can find us on the web at quantumbands.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus under Quantum Bands. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.